Do you feel alone, isolated, like a burden? Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. To work with yours truly, Leo Flowers. I have a master's in counseling psychology. I used to counsel inmates and married couples. But beyond that, I have struggled and still continue to struggle with depression, anxiety, suicidality. And there's so many things that I've learned along the way, so many coping skills, so many strategies, so many ways to manage my emotions to help me feel grounded, to help me feel connected, to give me hope. And I want to teach that to you. I want you to wake up with the same purpose and the same vitality and the same energy that I wake up with every day. Go to thrivewithleo.com to learn those coping skills and strategies. And let's get to tomorrow together. On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have Kathy Heller, who is a fire hose of inspiration. She's the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, which was given the number one spot on iTunes recommend list of shows for the new year in 2018 and 19. Each week, Kathy encourages thousands and thousands of listeners to find more purpose in their life and get paid to do what they love full time. She started out as a singer-songwriter and first found success licensing her music to TV, film, and ads. Quickly, she became a standout in her field and was featured in magazines like Billboard, Variety, and the LA Weekly. After making a multi-six-figure living with her music, Kathy started a music agency, and then she began teaching other artists to grow their own careers. Two weeks after her third daughter was born, she started her top-ranked podcast. Kathy's show has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Throughout the show, she has interviewed creative entrepreneurs like actress Jenna Fisher, popular blogger Seth Godin, designer Jonathan Adler, makeup artist Bobby Brown, dancer Mandy Moore, Oscar-winning producer Brian Grazer, singer-songwriter Colby Kellett, fashionista Tamara Mellon, Shark Tank's Barbara Corcoran, Starbucks' Howard Schultz, and Gretchen Rubin, to name a few. Kathy's book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, was released in November 2019 with Macmillan. It's filled with inspirational stories from people within her own tribe who have decided to take control of their life's journey. Her book goes into detail about how to find the work you were meant to do, how to grow your business, and level up your quality of life all around. She is a phenomenal coach for creative entrepreneurs, and she's helping people everywhere find a deeper sense of purpose and add their gifts to the world. When she's not teaching or interviewing amazing guests for her podcast, you can find Kathy playing with her three little girls, writing her book, songwriting for TV shows and commercials, or enjoying a moment with friends. Kathy often says, quote, purpose is the opposite of depression, and she is truly lifting others to be the happiest version of themselves. With that said, here's Kathy Heller. Kathy, I'm excited to have you on a, a podcast today uh, because I love your, your mission statement that of uh, 
purpose is the opposite of depression. And uh, I, I wonder what was the source of that? The source of that was my mom's battle with her mental health. I think as a kid, I was looking at my role models, which were my parents, and I just saw how unhappy they were. And I, I felt like people were searching for all these things to check off their list. They're going to be happy when they have this relationship, this job, this new house, this whatever it is. And I realized that none of those things would make a difference. And what really I started to see is that the things that would make people happy, really happy, the opposite of depression wasn't the things. It wasn't the happy stuff. It was purpose. It was when they felt like they were contributing or they felt like they were really connecting with someone else. And so I think what we've now found in the, in the data and like the hard research is that what people crave is belonging and connection and this feeling of something I'm doing is making a difference for someone else. And so when we are in alignment with ourselves, when we feel like our gifts are resonating, I think that's what makes us really happy. You know, I think that's kind of the blessing. Uh, one of the blessings from this quarantine is that we we're aware that we're all in this together, right? Like there's there's no one immune from it. And in that sense of oh, we're all going through a thing together, that in some weird way uh, unifies us and makes us helps us to feel less alone in yeah. the world. Um, it, it gives us a, a talking point mm-hmm. to, to go through. Yep. What, um, how did, did you, was your mom able to work through, uh, her depression or was she able to find some belonging and connection at some point? No, no, she's always, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. She's always struggled with that. And I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are like dying slowly. You know, I think a lot of people's gifts are dying inside of them. And I think a lot of people just feel so invisible and people don't know that they matter. And, uh, so yeah, it's always been a struggle for her and she has so much, you know, to give. I think a lot of us are super sensitive people, very empathetic people. And I think we also, we feel like, why would it matter? Or we compare ourselves to other people and say, you know, my gifts are not as great as those other people's and there's no need for me really in the world. And so we can easily isolate ourselves. And what's interesting, what's interesting about the pandemic is that the problem, the, the, the problem was here last year, there was a study done and 54% of the people who took the study said that they felt alone. And 1.6 million people last year in the United States tried to commit suicide. So we have a problem. We live in an empathy deficit. We live in a time where people are already feeling lonely. And what this pandemic is doing is it's it's showing us how much we need each other. And it, we're, because we're having to isolate, we're realizing that we must not do that. And we're finding ways to connect over Zoom video, Skype, um, and Instagram and everything else, which is such a blessing because people do feel so alone. And so my mission in this world really, and, and I think everybody on some level, whatever your work is, I think it, if you really traced it back, it probably stems from the relationship you have with your parents. And so my mission is to show people that we do need you 
and there is room for you and that uh, you do matter. And I'm on this sort of like quest to help people figure out how to put their gifts in the world. And and my book and my podcast, the, the reason it's called Don't Keep Your Day Job is because so often people think that they have to give up on what they love. Um, and, and the truth is that if you, if you do what you love for a living, you could just do more of it because then you don't have to put it off till the weekends or put it off till retirement. And I'm pretty positive that there is a way for you to figure out how to do what you love and, and how to make it so that other people, um, pay you to do it. And there's so many different ways to figure that out. And that's what I've been building my whole life. And that's what I've been helping people build. And, um, I hope that it starts to have a little ripple effect. It seems like it is. Yeah, I, you know, if anything, this this quarantine is showing people that uh, you do need to think about your streams of income, how you're making your money, and mm-hmm. and, and and who uh, you're reliant on, and yep. uh, you know, there's no time like now. You know, now is the time to work on that dream, to work on that those those ideas, the the, yep. the thing that was a hobby, and and how do we. Uh, turn that into something bigger and scalable, uh, you know, versus uh, this is it's not a vacation. It's not Mm -hmm. a vacation. This is this is really the time to get to work so that we can emerge from this stronger, better, smarter, more, more prepared um, for, you know, because this too will pass. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I feel like, um, it's so painful. There's a lot of people grieving. You know, people are, I have a very good friend. I'm waiting for the text the last two days to find out if, uh, if he passed away. So that's, you know, very real. And a lot of people um, are experiencing that same thing. There's, there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of uncertainty. The economy is scary. And so I think people need to really be kind to themselves and be gentle with themselves. And at the same time, because this is our new normal, we have to look at what we do have, you know, what we do have say over, what we do have control over. And right now, while there's very little we can do about the virus other than staying put, we can do something about the economy. You know, we we are the economy. And so right now, we have to have the courage to figure out how we can be of service and to raise our hand or else what we're going to be doing is relying on a few other people and hoping that they have the courage to sell and therefore will go work for them. So it's either you have the courage to sell or you work for someone who does. Because uh, one way or another, you're going to need a job. So when we say, oh, I'd be insensitive to start a business right now, who would I be? I'd be tone deaf to start offering something over Zoom video or or some product online. It's, it's the opposite. Because if you don't do that, then you're basically saying, I, I'm not part of the solution. I'm going to create more of a problem and I'm going to rely on the, the the few people who are brave enough to to be bold and to and to sell things. And when you sell things, I look at it like service. I look at it like if it's a job and if you've really created work for yourself, it's born out of radical empathy. I, I for me this is not a pitch. I don't have a script. I don't I I just know people and I know that sales is intimacy. And if you're going to be able to create something for someone, it's really just about figuring out what is it that you can create that someone might love, that someone might appreciate, and then really asking them as many questions as possible around what they need and then just creating what they need. So you don't have to convince them of anything. You can just go ahead and and make sure that you're making the things that they want. And then they're so happy that you 
have that available. Like today at the door arrived three art sets, one for my eight-year-old, one for my three-year-old, one for my six-year-old. And I was so happy that this, this business that I found online had already asked those questions, had already set out to, to, to see what moms of, of different age children thought their kids needed. And then they designed it. And I was so happy when this came to the door today, today, I was so grateful. I almost cried because it's hard for me to get to the store right now or to know that something like this would just be on a shelf and it's not even safe to go looking for this stuff. So the fact that I could find it, the fact that this woman put these art kits together and then I could give something to my kids that made them feel better today, we're seeing right now that so many businesses are actually having a spike in the middle of this virus, not just businesses selling hand sanitizer, businesses selling crafting supplies, people want to craft, businesses selling online courses, people people selling yoga tutorials, people um, doing anything that's like entertaining. Hasbro is having the biggest peak they've ever had selling jigsaw puzzles, Monopoly, things like that. So um, it's an incredible time to ask yourself, how can I be a problem solver? How can I help the economy? How can I use my gifts and be brave and courageous and try to make good things? And remember, there's definitely people who are going to be hurt by the economy. And that's just already happened. There's also people who would normally right now be spending their money on vacations or spending their money on going to a festival or a lot of things. And instead, they're going to look to spend that money online. So we want to be able to help by creating more things for them to, to buy and to support. So it's, it, it, it is really, there, there are times where, where both things are true. You know, there are times where there's people dying, everything's hard, and then there's other things happening at the same time, like we were talking about before connection with your family in a different way, new problems to solve, new opportunities and new ways to solve those problems. Um, those are all true. All of it's true at the same time. What I love about what you've said is that there are gifts dying inside of people. And so many people think about a gift in terms of unwrapping and Christmas, but the gift is, are the ideas that people have that they're holding back. I have so many friends who have great ideas and, and have such amazing talents. But like you said, they're afraid to sell. And, and I think that selling has gotten a bad rap because of a lot of movies. Like you think of Wall Street, yeah. uh, Wolf of Wall Street. And so yeah. anytime like you think of sales, you think of some snake oil salesman, somebody trying to get over on you. But really, I love also what you said when you said selling is, is into, sales is intimacy because you're not really selling the product, you're selling your story. And nobody has your story and your story is real. And, and you know, it, whether you are fixing somebody else's problem or you're scratching your own itch, what you're really pitching is, is your story about why you even got involved in this. And, and I mean, when you watch Shark Tank, really, um, I mean, it's cool to, to see people selling things and, and pitching a product, but really the heart of Shark Tank are the people's stories and the background and the history and, 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 and why they're even standing there and having the courage to, to pour all their life savings into a project that or a product that they don't even know if, if anybody's going to buy it. It's, it's mm-hmm. the story that, that hooks us and grabs us and uh, to yeah. have that courage to, mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and share your story and to yeah. help somebody else's life and make their life better. Uh, that, that truly is courageous. Yeah, it's the story. And it's also literally intimacy, meaning there's a difference between a business and a hobby. A hobby means I like doing it. And that's all that matters. A business means by definition, someone else is paying me. 
So what that means is that I have to make something someone else needs or wants. So the only way for something to sell is if I make something someone needs or wants. So the only way that I can do that is to create intimacy with my customer and understand their problem, understand their pain, understand what color, what size, what temperature, what do they want. And to the extent that I have that empathy and to the extent that I listen, I go ahead and make the thing. So yes, what you're saying is true. It's great to share your story. People buy feelings, they don't buy things. But I'm literally saying the sale is directly impacted by the amount of intimacy or there's no sale. Because even if you had the most beautiful story and people were really touched by that, if they're going to buy something, you had better asked and cared that the thing you make resolves for them the thing that they were looking for, the thing that they needed. It has to be there. So the empathy is the business. And therefore, you don't need to feel like a snake oil salesman. You need to know that you're creating something that they wanted or needed. If you don't think they want or need it, that's the problem. Then you would be trying to come up with all your tricks to try to just get them to take the thing. And that doesn't work anymore because everything's online and because everything's word of mouth. Everything is in the buyer's control. Thank goodness. So therefore, we have to be able to really create value and we really have to care. And when you're able to create value because you've asked what people want and what people need, and you're able to use your gifts to make beautiful art, to save people time, to create a great course, to make the right vegan cupcakes, whatever it is, now it actually doesn't matter if you have 100,000 people who buy it or 42 people who buy it. You can create a beautiful business if the depth of the empathy is there. You can start with 12 people who hire you to do X and that will start to spread like wildfire because they each, every person has on average like 400 Facebook friends and word of mouth is everything and they'll start to talk and that's all you need to care about is getting your customer the most value possible. I, I really want to get into it, it to show the depths of your uh of empathy and how well it works i i heard you tell a story about uh, an email you sent about starbucks and like bringing people starbucks mm-hmm. and yeah yeah so and 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 you really crafted the, uh it was so can can you talk about the what made you craft this email and what the story is behind the email and because you really are good at creating uh, emails that connect with people and that, that, that show a level of empathy to who you're Thank sending you. it to. Thank you. Yeah. When I started out, so, you know, now I have a multi seven figure business doing stuff I never even knew I would do. I mean, it's just amazing how your life continues to pivot as you ask the question, how can I be of service? You will get led to things that you didn't even know the world needed from you or thought you could help with, but you do and you just keep doing and things unfold. But where I started was songwriting. I came out to LA, got a record deal, got dropped. And after I got dropped from the label, I wanted to figure out how I could do something with music. And I wound up writing music for TV shows and ads and trailers and um, movies. And I started to realize that in order for people to listen to my music, when I would send an email, I had to have a relationship with them first. Otherwise it's very weird. There's like no, like nothing organic to like, hi, stranger who doesn't know me. Here's some homework. Go listen to my songs. Like why? Like I have a dog that's got to go to the vet. I got a job to do. I don't know you. Why are you 
sliding into my email and asking me to listen to your music. It's, it's gross. And it's not that there's something wrong with us. It's that we just don't know how to do business. We forget that business is relationships, business is empathy and intimacy. So we forget to talk to people like people. And what has to happen is there has to be a relationship. So early on here, I am like 26 years old and people aren't responding to these emails. And I'm really trying to figure out how can I get my music on Grey's Anatomy? How can I get my songs in old Navy commercials? And I thought I have to first have a relationship. Otherwise people are just not going to even open my email. And I thought, what can I genuinely share or what can I genuinely say to this person? And I thought, well, I really genuinely want to know this person because I'm a musician. This person is a music supervisor. They're choosing music for this show. Because of their work, I've found indie artists who I never had heard. Because of their work, indie artists like me are able to make a living. So I really am a fan of this person and I'd like to connect with this person genuinely. So I thought I'm going to try to just do that instead of trying to have an agenda or get a sale out of nothing cold. I'm just going to make a relationship, forget a sale, forget any kind of work opportunity, just make a relationship. And so I decided to send people this note and I was not a perfectionist about it. I have no graphic design skills, not, not one, but I just quickly made this little PDF and it was a picture of a girl playing guitar, a little cartoon character girl. And then I put a plus sign and then I put a picture of a Starbucks Frappuccino and I said, step one, tell me your favorite Starbucks drink. Step two, tell me what day and time to drop it off. And step three, I'll, I'll deliver you some music and some coffee and I'll be on my way. And I sent that out, um, to about 65 or so people and a bunch of people did not respond. And a bunch of people said, no, thanks or no. And then, uh, several people said, sure. Okay. That's kind of fun. You know, you can bring me this or you can bring me, me and my assistant, a vanilla latte or whatever. And I said, sure. And so there I went with my little, you know, two lattes and a little coffee tray and I would drop it off and I would start to head towards the door without having this like assumption of like, I'm going to sit down with you. But everybody did say like, thank you. And what's your name? And I would say like, I'm Kathy. And, and then they would say, tell me about you. And I would say, no, 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 no. <laughs> tell me about you. If you want to be the most interesting person, make people feel interesting. You know, as I said before, I really understand empathy. You know, that's the blessing of having parents who got divorced, uh, a kind of violent childhood, a dad who was an alcoholic, a dad who left, a mom who kind of fell apart, having no money, having a lot of emotional problems. I just have a lot of empathy. That, that's all I had at the time, you know, and our greatest resource is not money. It's not contacts. It's not how many hours we have in a day versus someone else. Our greatest resource is our resourcefulness and our resourcefulness inside of us. It's all the resources we have in spades. It's our passion, our compassion, our enthusiasm, like all that stuff. And I kind of knew that no matter who the person was, if they were president of Disney soundtracks, if they were the head of an ad agency choosing music for Pepsi, they were still a human being that needed someone to care. And I do. It's kind of my thing. So I would listen and I would say, how do you like this job? And what's the, your favorite part? And how did you get it? It's kind of a cool job. And thank you, by the way, for choosing indie artists all the time, because you make us feel like we matter in a world where everyone cares how many streams you have on Spotify. You don't. You just pick the artist if the song works and you you blow these artists up out of nowhere. And it happens all the time. 
And I had all these examples of that because I had been studying it and watching it happen. And people were really grateful to be seen and to be appreciated. And you know what wound up happening is I wound up making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I wound up becoming a go-to songwriter where they would say, hey, we're working on a script about sisters. Can you write us a song? Hey, we're working on a song. We need something where this character's going home and we need a song about home. Can you write one? And I would say, sure. And I didn't say, no, 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 no. That's not what I write. No, you don't understand. You need to use my song. I'm not writing what you need. You need to use my song. I just wrote. And a lot of songwriters were like, you're a sellout. And I was like, right. Alan Menken, he's a sellout, right? Randy Newman, he's a sellout, right? John Williams, he's a sellout, right? Sarah Borella, she's a sellout, right? All these artists who write these songs for these beautiful movies that the songs don't just tell their story. They tell a big story. Those are sellouts. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. They're sellouts. Like, what the hell is that? Like, our gifts were not given to us for us. They were given for us to shine a light in the world. So I had so much fun and I enjoyed it so much. And then what happened to me was that so many other artists started saying, how the heck did you do that? And I started a course called Six Figure Songwriting. And every time I launched that course, I mean, no joke, it's like $1.3 million every launch. And I do it twice a year and I help tons of artists. And because of that, I started a podcast helping other people do whatever job they wanted to do. Cause I realized that what I did at the, at the core of it, it really had nothing to do with songwriting. It was really about empathy. It was really about understanding what people need. It was really about sales. It was really about the core values that go into building an honest business. And so I started, don't keep your day job. And three years later, we're, we're creeping up to 15 million downloads. Wow. So, Kathy, we have that tapping uh, going on again. Oh, no, no. I don't know. Sorry about that. Uh, all good. Um, wh- and what I really love about your story is uh, because it's, it's not about money. It's, it's really a story driven by fulfillment because you talk about how, uh, you know, the job that you, you had a, a, a corporate job before and how that wasn't fulfilling it and how that's the worst thing to, to have in the world of when you have a job where you're making a lot of money. And uh, you're still not happy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so many people think that money is the, the, the source or the, or the root of their happiness. And it's just not. Can you speak a little to that? About money not being the source of your happiness? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, we talked about it before. And I think it's not what makes us happy. In fact, what we see in the data is that more people are struggling with depression uh, the more money they have. And so I don't think money is like a a beeline to happiness, but I think purpose is. I think connection is. I think meaning is. And I think that's what everyone craves is more meaning, more contribution. And so a lot of people live life and they don't feel like they're in alignment with themselves. You know, they go to the office and they're like, I don't know who this person is. I don't recognize myself in the mirror. Well, when that's the case, it won't matter how much money you're making. You're going to feel horrible. In fact, the number one regret of the dying is I didn't live life on my terms. So it doesn't say anything about how much money people had. It talks about being in alignment with them, with themselves, with their soul. There, there is something beautiful about creating something uh, for somebody else. Cause earlier you talked about you're making your story part of a bigger story. And I think a lot of us, I think for a lot of artists, especially they, they feel like their story is the big story. And sometimes the, the gift is in contributing 
to like when you watch a show like Grey's Anatomy or you watch a commercial, part of what gets you emotional is that background music. And somebody had to create that. So for someone to say, you know, it, it makes you a sellout because you're you're appealing to the the masses or the mainstream or you're you're catering to an audience like that. Yes, that's that's part of se- telling a bigger story and being a part of something much larger than yourself, which is mm-hmm. what we all crave, which is at the root of finding your purpose of like, how can I give to something bigger than me? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. With your kids, you have three kids. Are there are there things that you intentionally do to connect with them? Everything. <laughs> All the time. Everything is about connecting with them, sharing with them, hanging with them, asking them what they think. You know, I feel like we come into the world and we 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 have a lot of insight and wisdom and we don't need people to necessarily tell us the answers. We just need a safe, loving place and then we'll figure it all out, you know, whatever we need to do. So I try to just give them a lot of love and a lot of space, uh, to, to make messes and to be uncomfortable and learn that they can handle it. You know, I love that space to make messes because at the, you know, this is a suicide prevention podcast and a lot of people don't want to sell or don't want to put themselves out there, share their story uh, because they're afraid to make mistakes and they're afraid to make mistakes publicly and in front of people. And we think we always have to have this well-crafted image uh, before we present ourselves, but we need to allow ourselves space to make messes because that's where the growth is. Yep. That's where the growth is. And it's kind of like, it's actually false humility you know, who am I to do this? It's who are you not to do it? Because you don't, you don't get a pass. It's not like, oh, well, we don't need you. You know, you're an accident. Every It's everyone else's job to make the world better. There are no extras. God doesn't make extras. And even if you don't believe in God, the odds of a person becoming a person are one in 400 trillion. And every single human being that ever lived or ever will live we'll have a different fingerprint. And what we know from evolution, from a purely scientific perspective, is that we only keep things that we need. So we no longer have webbing between our toes and fingers. We didn't need it anymore, right? We don't have a tail. We don't need it. What what did we realize, though, is that for some reason, everyone has a different fingerprint. And I think it's a clue that everyone makes a different imprint, that this is about making something together, that we need every person. And when people are like, you know, you know, you're loved, it's like, it's not just you're loved, you're needed. So you don't have the right to sit it out. Whatever your messy stuff is, that in of itself can help somebody else. And that's your job. So if you're needed, it's not, well, I'm not perfect. It's I'm needed. And it's not about perfect. You're, you're never going to be the Messiah. You're never going to be the one person who you're qualified to start a podcast. You're qualified to start that business. You're qualified to reach out. No, it's not about being qualified. It's about being available. So if you're available for five minutes and you don't know what you're doing, but you're going to call a friend, if you're available to write something, even though it's going to be mediocre, good, do it. But it's all about having the courage to be mediocre. And and by the way, anything you make, it's a it's a numbers game in the sense that 
even the very best painter, 50% of what they make is below average. That's literally what average means. So there's going to be an average and 50% of the work is going to be above average and 50% will be below average. So that means we have to just make a lot of stuff, make a lot of mediocre stuff, and then um, the brilliant stuff will slip through because it just does. Yeah, when they, when they look at Mozart and Beethoven and all these, these great composers, uh, 1% of their work is what, what has seen the light. The rest yeah. was, was trash. I mean, not to call it trash. I mean, I'm sure even Beethoven's trash was, was excellent. But, you know, we, we only know about, you know, 1% of their work. When you look at even Prince who passed away, uh, you know, we, we know about the hits. But, you know, come to find out that he has, he's recorded albums upon albums of, of music that, uh, you know, would never see the, the light of day because it yep. didn't measure up to, to his standard of excellence. Yep. That's correct. Yep. What, you know, how long have you and your husband been married? My husband and I have been married 10 years, a little more than 10 years. Okay. So there, there's so many couples that uh, are struggling right now. I mean, not even right now. Let's not act like the quarantine is all of a sudden causing relationship issues, right? Like people were struggling before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there, are there tenants that, are there tenants uh, of your relationship that you both have intentionally put in place to connect with each other. And what I mean is I have friends who they have uh, a family mission statement. They've created mm. a family crest. Uh, they have like code, like they, they have these things that uh, they have intentionally, whether they go to therapy every two weeks, these things that they're like, we as a unit need this mm-hmm. and, uh, and we need to foster and pay attention to this and, and it's a it's a way to know that we both are care and are engaged in a relationship. Do you have those things in your marriage? Um, some I'm trying to think what our version would be because we don't have a family crest or a family mantra or anything like that. We used to go to therapy regularly. We don't do that either. Um, so I don't know if I have something tangible like that that we have. Uh, but what I can say is that. Uh, it's a tremendous amount of work. And, um, I actually feel grateful for the quarantine because I feel stronger in my marriage right now. Typically I don't. So it's interesting. This has actually been for us a really good thing when in general, I'm usually spinning a lot in my head and dealing with a lot of stuff that's coming up for me being the child of um, abuse and divorce, it definitely shows up in my marriage. And for some reason, and I know what some of those reasons are, the quarantine has actually flipped it for me because my husband and I have been together in this process, side by side doing laundry, side by side doing dishes, side by side cooking, side by side taking care of the three kids. And I can see the teamwork and I can see the goodness and I feel grateful Uh, and so there's like a sort of, um, anchoring into the relationship in a new way. In general, uh, I can tend to get married to my job, become a workaholic. 
I'm not really doing a lot of stuff in tandem with him. Sometimes we're kind of operating as like different units. And so a lot of this has actually built in a tremendous amount of touchstones for us. Like we're going to make dinner. We're going to clean up dinner. We're going to go on a family walk. We're going to watch a family movie. I mean, it's just been uh, nothing but teamwork right now. So I feel like that's something I hope we never lose after this all passes. It's true. Yeah. Me and my girl, we're quarantined together. And uh, it's interesting. It's like, you know, there's like little check-ins because we're both working throughout the day. Uh, but we do these little check-ins and we go for a walk before dinner and we cook dinner together and uh, all this stuff that we weren't doing before. Usually we go out to eat or one person be cooking. But now it's like, hey, what do you want to eat? I'm thinking about this. Why don't we throw this in there? Like, exactly. Everything's nice? more collaborative. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It's a little nice. It's also a little annoying. <laughs> yeah, I understand that, too. That's honest. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good with eating the same thing every day. But uh, but overall, it, it's it's increased our communication and uh, and increased our our level of sharing just emotionally and, 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 and verbally. So it's a. a it's exciting to see how this p- progresses and develops and then what sticks after and then what, like you said, we, we lose the things we don't need and, and what we'll let go of, uh, you know, once the quarantine lifts. Yeah, I agree with you. How, I think that, yeah, go ahead. Um, my question is because you, 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 you talked about how, you know, the, the childhood that you grew up uh, with and or grew up in and how it's, certain things still show up for you today. And you said like spinning in your head, what are things that you do besides the cooking and and the cleaning to ground yourself? And what were you doing before the quarantine? Because, you know, this is like you said, it's all new to you. So what were some of your, your grounding activities a way that you helped to recenter yourself when you felt like you were spinning? I mean, the thing that really always works for me is getting out of myself. I think when we're inside of the circle and we put ourselves in the center of our world, it's no good. Like nothing good's going to happen there. So I think the the ultimate survival skill for me has always been go cheer someone else up, go make something for someone else, go go lift somebody, go put something in the world. That's oh god, does that help me because it gets me out of my stuff. So that was always really anchoring, which I think is part of why I became really successful because I kind of become obsessed with with the work that I can do, especially because I do feel that my work gives me a lot of purpose. So it's it's beautiful, but I can also easily, um, you know, make that an addiction. You know, just working too much. So um, that was one thing. And then um, another aspect for me, I was doing this the last couple of years was I was leaving my phone at home, and every day taking a walk without my phone. And I bought a hammock, and I would go sit in the hammock once a day as well without my phone. And those two things, just being in nature and being present in nature. I think work every time. I've never had that not work. You're absolutely right. I go for a walk every morning. I try to get my 10,000 steps in. Good. Yeah. It's super soothing. I, it, you know, to me, when I was younger, I'm 44 now, when I was a kid, that was just something old people did going for a walk with their yeah. hands behind their back and feeding yeah. pigeons. And now I'm like, no, that's a, like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> actually exactly like right. these long walks like i'm not a yeah. long walk on a beach uh kind of but like definitely through a park yeah. and hiking and and, yeah. and in nature um yeah it makes a long me, walk on the beach sounds like a pharmaceutical ad yeah. you know when you're watching those <laughs> you're like nah that's not me yeah 
but but like hiking in 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 a park or you know I go up to like Sequoia Mountains and things like that. Mm-hmm, it nice. it makes me it it's a reminder, like of how small my worries are, but also it also encourages me to to uh, share all of my gifts. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting feeling. On one hand, it it makes me realize like how unimportant everything is and how ridiculous it is because. No matter what I do with my life, like these birds don't give a damn. The trees don't care. The clouds are going to do what they do. They're going to keep, you know, they're not going to stop to mourn Leo flowers or whatever. But on the other hand, because it it doesn't matter, I why not do it? Does that make sense? Like, why not share all your gifts? Why not try all your ideas? Because it's just, it's all ridiculous. If that makes, does that make sense to you? Yeah, totally. Totally makes sense to me. Um, yeah. I mean, we have to be putting it all out there. Um, because it's my friend, Emily said it the other day, she said that she was feeling creatively stuck, but then this whole thing happened and she realized that she, she has the case of the efforts. It's like effort. Let me just try it now. There's like this permission, like why, why should I not just put it out in the world? You know, what do I have to lose? The, there's nothing to lose because you, you realize this has made people realize like how fragile it all is. So just just That's lay it what, yeah. all out there. Take the chance. Go a thousand miles per hour um, and, and see what happens. I mean, it's just it's just fun. If, any, if, if nothing else, you get a great story to tell about how you sent the email to somebody. And That's true. <laughs> That's true. A good story. And, you know, I just had Amy Purdy on my podcast. And for people who don't know her, she... She lost her legs when she was 19 to meningitis and her kidneys also. So she had a kidney transplant and then she got prosthetic legs and then she was told she might not be able to walk. And then not only did she walk, but she learned uh, to snowboard and not only did she snowboard with her prosthetic legs, she won, she won the Olympics three times. And when you listen to her story, there's zero excuses not to make something magical happen in any moment, literally zero. She is unbelievably extraordinary. She's also stunning. Like she's as pretty as any popular actress there ever was. She um, also went on to win runner up on dancing with the stars. And she said, I didn't even make my own dance team in high school when I had legs, you know, let alone working this out without feet and um, and she just talks about how at every moment, when everyone tells you the 99 reasons why it won't work, you find the one reason why it will. And so she's no stranger to challenges. They told her her kidney would last nine years. It's been 20. And so, you know, if you listen to her tell in detail what it was like to get up on that mountain and have her friends say, you're going to die you're going to get on a snowboard with two press. You're going to throw yourself down them. You're going to die. And she went down the mountain. Her legs popped off. She had to go ho- hobble over to one of them, crawl her way through the, like, and she was like, I will be here until I do this. And she did. She's amazing. And what happens to the human being is that when we see examples of what's possible, everything changes. When, when the first person finally landed on the moon, everyone else was like, that's a doable thing. So more people did. 
So it's, it's important right now in this time to find stories of resilience and to show it to yourself because it will evoke inside of you whatever hero is already there. And we need that right now. You know, it's so true. When we see what's possible, then we realize it can happen. Arnold Schwarzenegger in his bio talked about how it had been decades before anyone broke, I want to say the bench press record. It wasn't bench press, but it was, it was something like that. And then he goes, anytime a record is broken, it's immediately broken like 10 times for like the next year. And then there's a huge gap again before it's broken. He goes, when a world record in racing or or sprinting is broken, somebody like within the next few months breaks it and somebody else breaks it. And then there's another 10, 20 years before anybody breaks it. And so you're so true. You're so right in that when we see something is possible, then it encourages us to move forward. It's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is I, I read a story about how when people read about suicides, uh, suicides a spike, you know, if, uh, like Anthony yep. Bourdain or Kate yep. Spade. Yep. But on the flip side, when people hear stories about resilience and people talking themselves off the edge, yep. suicides go down. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, we need more of these stories because the news isn't doing it. Uh, the media isn't doing it. All we're hearing about are the people who are, are losing their minds and, and making yeah. horrible decisions. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, that was the foundation for this podcast was to give listeners. That's so beautiful. Leo. That's gorgeous. Of, of resilience and overcoming. That's obstacles. awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's so awesome. I have a friend who works in the inner city and she was talking to her class and saying, you know, just draw, whatever you want to be when you grow up, there's are, these are second graders. And she was going to create this whole project out of whatever they came up with. And they were going to create sort of like this interview series where they would dress up as this person and get interviewed and research what this person does. And it was a cool project. So some kids, you know, talked about working with dolphins. I want to be a marine biologist. Some kids talked about wanting to grow up and open a restaurant and be a chef. And it was just so interesting. So there's a kid in the back of the room and he's not drawing anything. And he's just sitting there with his pen, like tapping the paper. And she says, what's going on? And she explains the assignment. And she says, just kind of have fun with this and please do it. And she comes back a few minutes later and he drew this person. And she said, what is that? And he says, a pizza delivery man. And she says, okay. So she calls his mom that night. And she said, we're about to do this whole project where the kids are going to learn what this person does that they drew and they're going to research it. They're going to dress up as this person. We're going to have them come in. We're going to interview them. And so I want to know what we should do about this because I have a feeling he could do something different, but this is what he drew. And do you have any ideas around this? And the mother says, I have an idea. His father's in prison. His uncle's a piece of delivery boy. So I have a feeling that's all he thinks he can do. That's all that he thinks is possible. And the teacher says, yeah, wow, that makes sense to me. I got it. And so you see that we reach for the highest branch. And for some people, like you said, they see suicide. like, that's the highest branch. I want out of this pain, right? For other people, they'll see somebody else who found something that broke them, you know, broke through it in a good way. 
And they'll be like, oh, I'm going to reach for that. And so we do have to show that to people. And it's the same thing with the reason I do my my work is because I feel like since people want purpose, if people can find a way to find that purpose and get paid to do it, their well-being is changed completely. And so I want to get people working on their purpose every day, getting them back to painting, getting them back to hand lettering, getting them back to screenwriting, getting them back to songwriting, getting them back to teaching yoga, whatever their thing is, and to show them that they're needed and to get them out of their way and to get them to make it messy. Because once they start to do this thing they love and other people start to respond to it, oftentimes that makes a big difference. And so I start to show people, you don't have to be Beyonce. You can get paid to do music. There's another way. You don't have to be Rachel Ray. You can get paid to make sourdough bread. I know a woman who was a janitor, Teresa Greenway, and went on to teach sourdough bread on Udemy and makes $200,000 now teaching people how to make sourdough bread. So it's not all or nothing. And when people see it, they'll reach for it. I like that. You know, it's it's not all or nothing. It's it's not, you know, go. It is, I, you know what? I think it stems from the idea of go big or go home. And I, I think that's one of those old mottos and, and statements that uh, have locked a lot of people uh, or have paralyzed a lot of people creatively and that they think that they have to be thinking selling out stadiums or New York Times bestsellers versus like, how can I contribute to the world? It's mm-hmm. like, um, and when you start to think about how you can contribute and, and what, what your voice is and what your passion and your purpose is, then all of a sudden it seems much more manageable and doable. And, and you, you will feel that energy once again that you had as a kid when you didn't care about exactly. making a mess, right? No kid yeah. cares about the mess. They, they play it. in the mess. They make it they and play. then they play in it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's a book called The Artist's Way by this woman, Julia Cameron, who used to be married to Martin Scorsese. And he was, he was struggling with being a filmmaker and he was going to give up. And she wrote this book called The Artist's Way. And it was written for him because she wanted to get him back in touch with just making it because he loved to make art, make films and, and shoot shoot film. And she wound up, this book became a crazy bestseller. And it's, I think it's been bought 25 million times. But the point is that I had her on my podcast and I said to her, is everyone creative? And she said, have you ever walked into a preschool and seen a kid who's not creative? And I said, you're right. That's a very clear way to say it. And she said, but what does every kid in the preschool have in common? There's paint on their sleeves. There's you know, there's cake batter up their nose, whatever they're working on, it's a mess. And that willingness to be messy allows them to make amazing things and to have so much fun. When we stop letting ourselves be messy, everything falls apart. Wow. I had no idea. I've read that book and I did not know that that was the backstory. Yeah. But now I want to go buy it again. See, that's exact. See, the story is sold me. <laughs> oh my God. I'm over here <laughs> in story. tears. Like, wow, she wrote that for her husband. Are you kidding me? Um, but Kathy Heller, what don't you do? Oh my God. So many things. Um, I don't work out. I should. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it's like ridiculous. <laughs> I do nothing like that. Um, what don't I do? Uh, I don't, um, 
I don't know. I don't know. We could take that in a million ways, but, uh, you were very sweet. I think, I think you're giving me a compliment. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to say, cause we were talking about that book, Julia Cameron's book. I think the reason people don't want to be messy is it's a survival skill. I think that if we're really honest, most of the people listening, most of the people I've met my whole life, most of the people who live on my block by the age of eight, they went through it by the age of 12, boy, did they go through it. And so what happens is I think as a protection, we say, Oh, I know what I'll do. I won't reach far cause I'll get burned. I won't love too deep cause I'll get burned. I won't make a mess cause I'll get ridiculed. So my strategy is don't love too much. Don't make too much. Don't ask for too much. And then we do get pretty sad because we kind of cut off our life force, but we have to be kind to ourselves and realize that was how we survived. Like you couldn't survive some of that stuff if you kept, you know, reaching or kept loving this person who was abusive, or you kept trying to get approval from this person who wasn't giving it, or you were dealing with some incredible amounts of grief. So, so much of this comes back to inner child work. And when you asked me sort of like what my husband and I do, and I said that we don't have a family crest and we don't have all those things, what we do is we we do focus on our inner child work. Both of us have spent a lot of time in therapy individually and together, but we've both spent a lot of time working on our suffering as kids. And so when we talk to each other, as soon as either of us is being rude or is is not being productive, we both know where it's coming from. And once in a while, my husband will, no joke, walk up to me and he'll go, you're just scared right now. And all you needed as a kid was someone to walk over and say, it's okay, I'm not going anywhere. And you just need me to tell you that right now. And he, and he's right. So, so much of this stuff is so old and Marie Kondo, she's right. In order to clean out that closet, it's got to get messier first. And one of the things that we all need to do is let ourselves grieve, let ourselves bring all those things out of the, the closet, make it messy, and then choose. Do you want to keep it or not? Is it serving you? Let's try not to keep it. Let's try to choose a new story. Let's try to find a new possibility, a new example. And when people say, you know, how do you do what you do? It's like, how does your iPhone work? You got to charge it. If you don't charge the batteries, it won't work. So I'm very cognizant that my default will not be, woohoo, let's do this. My default will be my brain. My brain is a, you know, a very old machine that was created to protect me. And so all it does is look for negative thoughts. All it does. That's what everyone's brains do. They scan for danger. There's nothing different about you. That's what our brains do when they work well, which means you got to, you got to be ahead of it and charge yourself and give yourself something positive to focus on or else don't expect yourself to be inspired by three o'clock in the afternoon. You won't be. So I think everyone I've interviewed from Jenna Fisher to Howard Schultz to Barbara Corcoran, everyone I've had on my show has some kind of continual practice where they are charging their batteries. And if they don't, just like everyone else, they'll feel like garbage. So that's got to happen. It's got to happen because we all have had experiences where we charge our batteries. We listen to a podcast. We went to a concert. We took a run. We listened to a playlist. We did a meditation. We've all had moments where we've done something like that. And then we felt really bold and we felt really good. And if you're not charged, you won't feel good and bold. You'll be in a low state and a low energy state is no good because objects in motion stay in motion and objects at rest stay at rest. So 
there's nothing really so complicated about it, but we don't really do anything about it because ultimately there's a payoff in protecting ourselves. And what we have to realize is we're not protecting ourselves from anything. We're just creating more of a blanket of pain. So if we really want to protect ourselves, we have to do what actually feels the opposite of our instinct, which is to walk into the stuff and to force ourselves to do it the opposite way that we normally would. You know, you talked about how you and your husband separately do inner child work. Mm-hmm. Can you give me like one example uh, that's practical? Because, you know, we, we're all, you know, struggling with our inner child. Is there is there a practice or is there a way yeah. that you journal or what does yeah. that look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, not everyone can do this, um, but they've actually made it easier. There's a an incredible uh, center called Onsite. And they do week-long workshops, which are essentially about your inner child. And everyone who works there is a clinical psychologist and it's incredible staff. And they use a lot of different modalities, including psychodrama. It's an amazing thing. And my husband and I both went individually for a week. You go without your cell phone, you're completely disconnected and you drop in like you've never dropped in. It's amazing. What's happening now is they've actually moved their whole program online so people can do this online over Zoom. It's amazing. But I'm not an affiliate for them. I'm just sharing it because I've done it and it's awesome. But one thing that you do in inner child work, which you you could do without being a part of their workshop, one little thing you can do is um, write a letter to yourself from seven-year-old you. And just just write it. Like, what does seven-year-old you have to say? Um, another thing you can do is draw a family map. What that looks like is you draw like mom and dad, and then above dad, write grandparents. And then above mom, write these grandparents. And what you write is like just next to them, sort of write out like what crap they had going on. Like this one lost a kid to polio. This one had money issues. This one was a drinker, like whatever comes to your mind, just a few things per person. And then draw the arrow from your grandparents, write their stuff, then draw the arrow to your mom, then write a few of her things. You know, she was this, this, and this, what were the, and this is all about trauma. So whatever the trauma was for her, was she dealing with abuse? Was she dealing with low self-esteem, anything? It could just be a couple things. And the same thing with the dad. And then you draw the arrow from mom and dad to you. So mom and dad handed that down. And when you look at it, there's no wonder why we're all dealing with this stuff because we pass it down. That's what we do with trauma. We pass it down. There's also epigenetics that showed that genetically it gets passed down in the genes, um, whatever trauma. So depending on what people's grandparents or great grandparents went through, there's a lot of anxiety that literally gets passed down. Um, so it's fascinating, but that is helpful. And, um, and then doing little visualization, you know, see yourself meeting your kid self in, in your old living room as a kid or in, in a path in a beautiful, like, you know, jungle or wherever you want it to be. And just ask the kid, like, what do you have to say? See if they have any questions for you. You might cry your eyes out, but it's a good thing to do. And then one of the nice things that you can say to this kid is you don't have to live here anymore. That's a, that's a really good phrase I like to use. You don't, you don't have to live here anymore. And then you can finish it up with, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. And I think if people did that, they'd be better. I think that people just need a big old self-compassion practice. And I think a lot of people who are struggling with their sadness and depression, I think that this could actually go a long way 
damn, that almost made me tear up. You don't have to live here anymore. Yeah. It's so powerful. I think it is powerful. Because, you know, sadness and and grief, uh, as you mentioned, those are some of the emotions that are, I think, the most challenging for a lot of people uh, to deal with. There was an article, I think, in Vanity Fair that talked about how a lot of the emotions that people are experiencing right now uh, is grief because of the loss of their way of life. Yes. Um, you know, relationships, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. There's a lot of loss, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And and people aren't aware of that. They just they think they're angry or they, they might be uh yeah. frustrated or worried, but they don't realize uh, the underlying uh emotion there is grief. Yeah. Uh, it's just uh something that we usually don't talk about unless it's somebody dying. Then yeah. we go, oh, you're grieving. But um mm-hmm. when you lose your job and your routine, which is so valuable for mental health. Um, there, there's a grief with that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Kathy Heller, is there anything that we haven't talked about? That oh, you- man, you did such a good job. We talked about so much stuff. Uh, I know, we talked about so much stuff. <laughs> um, plug all your things, Kathy. Where can people find you? Where can they get the book? Are you you're working on another book too, right? Not yet. Oh, okay. I... I, I writing a book was so hard for me. It's like, talk about all your imposter syndrome. I'm like, I I have to write a book. I haven't written anything since sophomore year of high school. Um, so anyway, you can find me at Instagram at Kathy.Heller. You can find my podcast, which is called don't keep your day job. And it's wherever you listen to podcasts. And, um, my website, kathyheller.com has a lot of really cool resources, including a quiz, which helps you figure out maybe what what possibility of work is most in alignment with you? It's like a passion finder quiz and it gives you a lot of resources and it's free. And, um, and the book is on audible. The book is on Amazon. And I think that the book is a really cool tool because at the end of every chapter, there's a lot of like journal prompts. And I, I walk through in more detail, a lot of the stuff we talked about today. And I think people will leave the book feeling a lot of possibility and then actual tools of what they can do to to start walking down that road of building something that actually feels like coming home to themselves rather than building other people's dreams. Kathy Heller, I, I'm so honored that, that you Aww, are so part sweet. of this episode. And I've listened to so many uh, of your podcasts and podcast episodes and inspired every time. And, and you did the same thing here today. Thank you uh, for inspiring us, for giving us hope. Um, and thank you listeners for listening in. Now I ask this of all my listen, uh, uh, guests, um, I feel like there's always one person who was listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? We need you. You have a unique gift. You were not put here by any accident. And you're needed. And your mess is your message. So even your pain can be the way to help somebody move forward. You can only help someone out of a well if you've been down there. And uh, you can only get someone home if you know their address. So whether it's something you love doing or whether it's something you've survived or whether it's just not having answers but sharing your pain, that in of itself makes you the, the best candidate to help another person who really needs you. And when you know that you're needed and you know that there are people who will 
feel more empowered to make this world better because of you and only you, I think that that's a good thing to chew on. Kathy Heller, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling someone, going to therapy, going to on-site, checking them out. They're online now. Check them out. Call the 1-800-SUICIDE number. Call them if you need to. Uh, or go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, and we will talk to you soon.